Church, would you, church, would you take, church, would you take your Bibles and open them to the book of Revelation? Revelation, chapter two. Tonight we will be in verses eight through eleven. Tonight's message is entitled "Smyrna, the Church That Suffered." And I want you to follow along your copy of God's Word as I read this section of Scripture. You've been standing, so I won't ask you to stand again, although we could use the exercise. Amen? Amen. But tonight I'll give you a respite. We're beginning in verse 8, Revelation chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by which those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul warned Timothy that in the last days, difficult times would come. He spoke of his own persecutions and sufferings and added, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In America, where through the years we have enjoyed the freedom of religion, persecution is on the rise. After centuries of prayer and Bible reading in the public schools, in the early 1960s, the United States Supreme Court banned these practices. Since that time, crosses and other symbols of faith have been removed from monuments and public squares across our nation. Our government now mandates that schools deny the existence of Creator God and teach evolution instead. There's a growing intolerance for Christians throughout our nation. We've all heard of the widespread cases where Christians have been targeted and their religious liberties violated. For example, the owners of an Oregon bakery had to pay a fine of $135,000 because they refused to bake a cake for a homosexual wedding. They did not deny general services to the couple. They just could not use their artistic abilities to celebrate a same-sex wedding due to their genuinely held religious convictions. Sadly, these cases are not uncommon. Like Paul, I believe all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will indeed suffer persecution. Even in America. For many nations in the world, persecution is nothing new. According to Fox News, 
the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, an academic research center that monitors widespread demographic trends in Christianity, estimates that between the years 2005 and 2015, 900,000 Christians were martyred, an average of 90,000 Christians each year. According to the Pew Research Center, 74% of the world's population live in a country where social hostilities involving religion are high, and 64% live where government restrictions on religion are high. Smyrna, the second of seven churches Christ addresses in the book of Revelation, was accustomed to suffering the bitter pains of persecution. Of these seven churches, only Smyrna and Philadelphia escaped without any rebuke from the Lord. A careful study of this church reveals a congregation that had been refined in the flames of trial. They had learned firsthand to profit from their pains in keeping with the wisdom found in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And I quote, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. Reading and learning from this letter to the church at Smyrna will prepare us to endure suffering and persecution that will surely come to pass. We began to look at the text tonight and what we see is the examination of the church. You'll begin to study with me now in verse 8 where the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write. We see a, a word that we've seen before, right? The angel. The term angel means messenger. In this context, we believe it refers to the pastor of the church. He received the letter of revelation from Christ through John. He read the entire letter to the church, including the portion directly addressed to Smyrna. Then the church is mentioned here in verse 8, and to the angel of the church. The origin of the church at Smyrna is unknown. Most likely, the church was started by Paul or one of his converts during his time in nearby Ephesus. Revelation is the only book that mentions this church. The church in Smyrna endured great suffering due to the practice of emperor worship. Emperor Domitian began to require that a yearly sacrifice be made to the emperor. Anyone who refused was sentenced to death. Many believers were executed because they refused to participate. The word Smyrna means bitter. This is a Greek word that was used to translate the Hebrew word myrrh. Myrrh is a type of resin that is produced by crushing a certain thorny plant 
producing a fragrant substance. Myrrh was added to the anointing oil that was used in the tabernacle. We read about this from the book of Exodus chapter 30 verse 23. The substance was also used as a perfume. We find this in the book of Psalms chapter 45 verse 8 as well as the Song of Solomon chapter 3 verse 6. In Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 we read that the wise men brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the baby Jesus. Myrrh and wine were offered to Jesus on the cross, but he would not drink it. We find this in Mark chapter 15, verse 23. I believe that Jesus refused to drink because this was a narcotic-based drug that was used to deaden the pain And Jesus wanted all his mental faculties as he was bearing the sins of the world. Including our sins, your sins, and my sins. Also in John chapter 19 verse 39, we read that Nicodemus included myrrh among the perfume and spices used to anoint the body of Jesus after his crucifixion. Smyrna, or bitter was a fitting name for this church. The bitter pain of their suffering, brought on by their loving devotion to Christ, produced a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now let's move on and we see something about the city. As the Bible says in verse 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The ancient city of Smyrna was one of the most beautiful cities in Asia. The city's origin may date back as far as 3000 B.C. 1000 B.C. is the date for the first Greek occupation. The Lydians destroyed the city around 600 B.C. For more than 300 years, the city was in ruins. It was rebuilt in 290 B.C. Although Rome did not become a world empire until around 27 B.C., the people of Smyrna were a devoted ally. They built a temple to Rome in 195 B.C. There they worshipped Rome and eventually demanding that Christians worship the emperor or be put to death. Situated around 40 miles north of Ephesus on the Gulf of the Aegean Sea, the city had a harbor and access to an important trade route leading to Asia Minor. An Acropolis, about 500 feet high, was located there. The hill was covered with temples and other buildings. The people called it the Crown of Smyrna. The city streets were well-designed and beautifully landscaped. The soil was fertile. And their science and medicine were advanced. The city's population during the New Testament times was around 200,000. As you can see, this was not just a small town. This was a large city. Today, the city bears the name Ismir and is home to around 2 million people. But in verse 8, we begin to see the Lord speaking. 
And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the Lord says. And notice how he's described in verse 8. The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. When we see the Lord described here, first of all, he is referred to as the first and the last. This title was used to describe Christ in the first vision recorded in Revelation chapter 1 verse 17. In Isaiah 41 verse 4, 44 verse 6, and 48 verse 12, the title refers to God. Here in Revelation chapter 2 verse 8, and again in Revelation 22 verse 13, the title is applied to Christ. This usage affirms This usage affirms that Christ is God and equal with the Father. And this is a very important point. He is the eternal God who is over all of creation. He's also referred to here in verse 8 as the one who was dead and has come to life. The incarnation of Christ means that Jesus descended from heaven and became the God-man. As God in human flesh, he lived without sin, suffered severely at the hands of evil men, and died on the cross in order to pay our sin debt. Thankfully, the story does not end there. He was victoriously raised from the dead. This was encouraging news for the Christians facing death at Smyrna. Sometimes a king will send an ambassador as an official representative of his kingdom. This diplomat has a wide range of responsibilities. The person holding this office is important, but he is not the king. His power and authority are limited. King Jesus did not send an ambassador to examine the churches in Asia Minor. He personally walks among them. He is giving each of them a close inspection. His eyes penetrate every aspect of these congregations. And we should be reminded that he does the same thing here in our churches. He's doing the same thing here at First Baptist. He's quite aware of what is happening here among the fellowship. He knows our hearts. He knows our abilities. He knows our opportunities. He knows our devotion. There's nothing that escapes his notice. As we look at this passage here, let us see what he discovered about the church at Smyrna as we're reminded that he is Searching our hearts tonight. So we turn now in verse 9 to the evaluation of the church. We see first of all the tribulation they suffered. Look again in verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. First of all, he says, regarding this tribulation they suffered, I know. I know. Christ confronts the church by telling them, I know. 
His knowing was not by observation alone. He knows what they are going through because as Isaiah 53 describes, he was despised and forsaken by men. He understood their suffering because he himself was the suffering servant. It's comforting to me to know that Christ knows. Christ knows what you're going through. Christ knows the trials you face. Christ knows the difficult the difficulty some of you young people face at school and among your peer group. How that the pressure is great for you to conform. He knows about that pressure. He knew what was going on in that church and he knows what is going on in our lives. He says, I know your tribulation. Look in verse 9 again. This Greek word for tribulation means affliction. This is the common term used in the New Testament for persecution. Believers in Smyrna lived constantly under the threat of death. Their refusal to worship the emperor and other pagan idols resulted in severe persecution. So the tribulation they suffered is evaluated by the Lord. He knows. Also, he knows the, uh, the poverty they suffered. Verse 9 speaks about this. He says, I know the poverty. I know about your poverty. One way they felt the sting of persecution was through abject poverty. Due to their refusal to bow to Rome, Christians suffered intense deprivation. He also says, but you are rich. Notice in verse 9. These persecuted and impoverished believers were rich with the presence and the promises of God. The Roman authorities and the hostile Jews could not take the eternal rewards away from these faithful Christians. Here the Lord as he evaluates this church he sees the blasphemy they suffered. We also read about this in verse 9. He says and the blasphemy. The word blasphemy here means slander. Ultimately, slander is a satanic attack. We're reminded in Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Although the nature of the slander is not revealed in this passage, some of the false accusations leveled against Christians in the first century included a number of things. Let me mention some of these. First of all, cannibalism. They were accused of being cannibals. You may wonder, well, why is that? What was the basis for this accusation? It was because Christians spoke of the Lord's Supper as eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. Now, obviously, we know that that is symbolic language. But yet people used that and twisted it to make this accusation more potent. They were also accused of immorality because they gathered to have love feasts and they greeted each other with a holy kiss. They were also accused of atheism because they refused to worship the emperor and other idols. They were accused as well 
for rebellion because they would not make sacrifices to the emperor. So they were being slandered. And it caused great suffering as well. Now you say, well, who specifically were slandering these Christians? Well, the Bible tells us this. Look at verse 9. By those who say they are Jews and are not. Paul expressed this same sentiment in Romans chapter 9 verse 6. At the second part of that verse, he said, and I quote, For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. End of quote. If you remember this morning, if you were here, we talked about this to some degree. How that not all people who are descendants from Abraham will actually be in the kingdom with God. You're not a part of the kingdom by virtue of your physical birth. You become a part of the kingdom by virtue of your spiritual birth. And this once again is emphasized in this passage. This statement is not racially motivated but is spiritual in nature. Many of the Jews had rejected the Jewish Messiah. And in Smyrna, they were attacking the Christians. Because Rome recognized Judaism as an accepted religion. The Jews were tolerated if they cooperated with Rome. He goes on in verse 9 and gives some more description. He says... But these people are a synagogue of Satan. Now this is very harsh language, is it not? It's a very vivid sort of a statement. It's a stinging statement. It's a, it's a strong condemnation. These Jews use their synagogues as a place to plan their attacks against the Christians. Rather than being a synagogue of God, it had become a synagogue of Satan. It's certainly sad any time we see this type of behavior. And sadly, there have been times in history when so-called Christians have attacked the Jews. Thus denying the very gospel they claim to believe. Satan has a way of bringing pain and anguish and division among people. And certainly that is witnessed in this passage tonight. Have you ever had someone say to you, I have some good news and some bad news. What do you want to hear first? In Christ's evaluation of the church at Smyrna, he only had good things to say. As I mentioned, of the seven churches, Smyrna was only one of two churches that did not receive a rebuke from Christ. That's good news. And that's the type of church we should strive to be. A church that is pleasing and always unto the Lord. Now as we move on through this passage, we make our way to verse 10. And here we see the expectations for the church. Let me read verse 10 for you. Do not fear, he says, what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. So that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for ten days. 
But be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Here he mentions some expectations he has for his churches. By the way, did you know that God has some expectations for us too? God expects some things of us. God desires to use us in mighty ways. He wants us, first of all, to be holy the way he is holy. He empowers us through his spirit to do so. Also, he wants us to be obedient to him. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. As we obey the Lord, there are some things we will do. Not only will we seek to keep his word, be faithful to it. But we will also seek to obey that word by carrying out the great commission. That's why we're here. Did you know that? The Lord could call us on home. Uh, There's no reason to stay here, really, other than to bear witness for who he is. And God wants to use us to, to witness to our world, to take the gospel here locally in this region. And throughout the world, we're to be that light shining in the darkness. God has called each of us to be participants in this way. So he has great expectations for us. And when we think about persecution and suffering and the trials that we may face in the future because of our stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, these are some things we can remember that he told the church at Smyrna that are applicable to us as well. Namely, do not fear. Do not fear. It would be interesting to do a survey through the scriptures to find the number of times this statement is made. Numerous times throughout the Bible we're told, do not be afraid. We tend to be afraid, don't we? Especially when we face perils, hardship and trial. Fear can grip us. But we're reminded here, do not fear. And he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. See, he knows that suffering is on the horizon. Although they have experienced a tremendous degree of suffering, it was not going to let up. It was only going to intensify. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Christ encourages his followers to not be afraid. He also informs them that the persecution is going to continue. You heard me say this morning that I think that Here in America, we're going to experience persecution. I mean, why shouldn't we? Most of the world suffers for their stand for Christ. Purification has a way, or I should say, persecution has a way of purifying the church. I mean, who's going to suffer for something they really don't believe? And so what it does is refines the church and and those who remain in the church and a part of the church and actively involved are those who are serious about their faith. So the church is purified through persecution. He says here in verse 10, behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Satan is always trying to harass The followers of Christ. Uh, Dear people, I would not be at all surprised if there is coming a day in in our near future where 
if you stand up and preach this Bible, you will be subject to fines or imprisonment. You say, that would never happen in America. Friend, it's already happening to some degree. It's already happening. We see it going on around us. And when that day comes, we have to be strong and steadfast. We should not fear, but we must be faithful to the Lord. Satan is the one that is behind this movement. He is the one that's orchestrating this. And the reason is because he hates God and everything God stands for. And God loves you. He wants to use you. He wants to change you. He wants you to be an influencer of other people. So Satan is going to fight against that. We also read in verse 10, so that you will be tested. God is going to use Satan who wants to bring discouragement and defeat to the church at Smyrna to actually strengthen and purify the body. He's going to allow this to serve as a test for this church. God permitted Satan to imprison these believers to test their faith. Persecution has a way of purifying the church as I mentioned. And those whose faith is invalid are not going to endure harsh pain that comes by way of persecution. They will leave the body. They will leave the church that is gathered Not that they were ever really a part of the church in reality. Also in verse 10 we read where he says, And you will have tribulation for ten days. The meaning of ten days is unclear. We just simply don't know for sure what this means. But some believe it might refer to the ten periods of intense persecution under the rule of various Roman emperors. Many contend that 10 days means that the persecution is for a limited time. 10 days could also be interpreted as 10 literal days. Meaning this specific persecution would be excessive but it would not last long. So he tells them do not fear. Do not be afraid. He also says in verse 10... That he has the expectation for them to be faithful. Be faithful. He says be faithful unto death. Serving the Lord was costly for the church at Smyrna. Many would even pay with their lives. But they would go to their deaths with promise. And here's the promise we read about in verse 10. Look in your Bibles here. He says, and I will give you the crown of life. The crown spoken of here is not the Greek diadema or diadem as we would say, which was worn by royalty. Rather, this was the Greek term stephanos, the victor's crown given to athletes who won the race. The persecution of the church at Smyrna would continue for the next half century. Polycarp, a disciple of the apostle John, was sent to Smyrna as the bishop, as the pastor. 
He led the church until 50 years after the death of John. The Romans put a growing number of Christians to death by burning them at the stake or casting them before wild beasts. Around 155 AD, Rome unleashed a brutal attack against Christians. Polycarp was arrested for being a follower of Christ. He was told if he would declare Caesar is God, Caesar is Lord, and offer a pinch of incense to Caesar's statue, he would be freed. His response was, and I quote, 86 years I have served Christ. And he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? End of quote. Polycarp gave his life in service to King Jesus. His fearless demonstration of faith became an inspiration for Christians throughout the centuries. What a great example he is and how He took to heart the words of Christ here to fear not and be faithful. That's what Christ is asking of us. Do not fear, though you face trials, and be faithful in the midst of difficulty. Then finally, in verse 11, we see the exhortation to the church. He says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. First of all, he says to hear the truth. That's what he means when he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This statement is made in each letter to the seven churches. The message is clear. God is speaking. Listen closely to what he is saying. Listen to me carefully. It's important that we gain greater knowledge of the Bible. As a matter of fact, you cannot grow spiritually in my estimation without the word of God. As you study the word of God and understand more fully what it says and how it applies, spiritual growth is a byproduct of that. But did you know that you can acquire greater knowledge about the Bible and not grow spiritually? You can't grow spiritually without the word of God. But the word of God alone will not necessarily result in spiritual growth. Just because you acquire more information does not mean that that information is getting inside to the heart. It may just get in the head. God's desire is that we gain knowledge of him and put it to practice in our lives in practical ways. That we live out the truth that we're learning. And it's so important to remember that because we can listen to sermon after sermon after sermon. And gain more and more knowledge without really growing spiritually. 
God wants us to grow. He wants us to hear his truth, to absorb his truth in our hearts and minds and live it out. Also notice, if you would, he says that they are to overcome the trials that they face. This is another exhortation we see in the last part of verse 11. And this is how he says that he who overcomes, well, John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. All who have faith in Christ Jesus are overcomers. If you have faith in Christ tonight, you are an overcomer. You are a victor, no matter what you face. He also said, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Persecution may lead to the first death, which is physical death. But true believers will not suffer the second death, which is spiritual death for eternity. This promise was welcome news to the Christians suffering in Smyrna. I had the privilege of being in the delivery room with Sonia when she gave birth to all three of our children. This experience enabled me to better understand why delivering a baby is called labor. Can I get a witness, ladies? The intense pain of childbirth can last for hours. The woman goes into the valley of the shadow of death to bring new life into the world. In rare cases, some women have died while giving birth. Despite all the pain and suffering experienced in labor, when the baby is placed in the waiting arms of that loving mother, the overwhelming joy overshadows the pains of delivery. Even though we are not immune from suffering and pain, we can be comforted in knowing that the struggles of this life are only temporary. Speaking of suffering for Christ, Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What a day that will be. Carl A. Blackmore tells about that day in his song, Some Golden Daybreak. Listen to the words. Some glorious morning, sorrow will cease. Some glorious morning, all will be peace. Heartaches all ended. School days all done. Heaven will open. Jesus will come. Oh, what a meeting there in the skies. No tears nor crying shall dim our eyes. Loved ones united eternally. Oh, what a daybreak that morn will be. Some golden daybreak, Jesus will come. Some golden daybreak, battles all won. He'll shout the victory, break through the blue. Some golden daybreak for me, for you.
Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that even in the midst of persecution and suffering and perhaps even death for those who believe in you, you will give to them a crown of life. Help us to remain faithful, Lord, to you as persecution rises. We should not be caught off guard or surprised, but we do need to be prepared. Help us to seize every moment now to learn more about you and allow our love to grow for you and our obedience to be faithful and consistent as we live out our faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.